Hello. Quick note for you today. First of all, I hope you are doing well, taking good care of yourself, your family, and your community. Today's episode with my friend Sayer G was not scheduled to release for a couple of weeks. In fact, we recorded it before COVID-19 was a known concern in the U.S., But the topic we'll be discussing, and Sayer himself, provide key insights in our current paradigm, a paradigm that includes a lot of uncertainty and life disruptions. Resilience has been one of my favorite topics in the past decade. It's how we bounce back, how we rebound from all sorts of disruptions to be better selves, better communities, improved economies, and even a stronger planet. I hope this conversation with Sayer can inspire your resiliency. Here's the episode. Hello, this is Sayer G, and today we'll be mapping radical resilience on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Sayer G. Sayer G is founder of GreenMedInfo.com, a reviewer at the International Journal of Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine, co-founder and CEO of Systome Biomed, Vice Chairman of the Board of the National Health Federation, Steering Committee Member of the Global Non-GMO Foundation, and author of the new book, Regenerate, Unlocking Your Body's Radical Resilience Through the New Biology, which you'll find linked in the show notes. I've wanted to bring Sayer to the mic for over a year now, but knew he was busy working on this new book. So I'm excited to finally deliver his brilliance and this discussion to you today. Sayer, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you for having me. Today, Sayer, we're talking about radical resilience. And resilience actually has its very own spot on the functional nutrition matrix. But I'm wondering how you would speak into what resilience is in the body, in the mind, in the spirit, and what it means for this innate superpower to be radical. Ooh, I love that. So yeah, thank you. Um, well, I will say that for me, every day I get up and I feel relatively well, it's like a miracle given what I know I'm exposed to and have been for the past few decades in terms of EMFs and toxicants and, you know, less than ideal foods. And so, you know, I plumbed the depths of the question, how is the cell still so resilient given these modern changes? And I have to say, I'm really excited because what what I ended up finding was that there is this quasi-immortal thread within our bodies, which we can tie to the germline cells and really the stem cells, which make them like the uh, hallmark of resistance against what should potentially be inevitable disaster. Hmm. You know, our, our bodies should be suffering dramatically. And yet again, the resilience that our bodies express is is really just jaw-dropping. I love the concept of resilience. If you look at any other field of study, whether it's understanding earthquakes or bridges or buildings, 
understanding. We really do have this study of resilience. And what you're talking about is this counter that we innately have to the stressors in our lives. And there are so many internally and externally. When you go back and think about what we're coming into the world with and what these next generations are coming into the world with, are we seeing resilience more compromised or in your research, were you able to see that we're still finding ways to thrive and survive? Yes. In fact, that's what got me so interested in the topic, the new biology and and resilience, because when you really start plumbing the depths of even what are conventionally considered to be these gene mutations or SNPs, you find that some of them may confer greater survival advantage against certain types of chronic disease. So, you know, even in the case of BRCA, of all things, you know, we think breast cancer-associated genes are a death sentence within sort of popular media representation, and yet certain of the variations actually confer survival advantage, and there are so many of them. So the reality is that we're just starting to scratch the surface of understanding actually how the genome and epigenome function, and I think I think really Jeffrey Bland has been talking about this for quite some time, right, in terms of our genes really being optimized in ways for resilience and wellness versus the darker conventional view that they're just inevitable, inexorable vectors of lethality and byproduct of bad inheritance from distant ancestors. Well, the reality is that genetic mechanisms can see real-time changes in the expression of these basic genetic patterns and that some of them are passed down to our progeny through somatic to germline information transfer. So if if anything, the new biology is showing us just how profound our responsibility is and our power to affect, you know, our own health destiny. I love that you put it like that. I'm a huge fan of looking at the epigenetics that, of course, is in all my work and all my teachings that we have that power, that we actually can impact every expression in our bodies. Where do you see that that empowerment for our clients and patients actually supports further resilience? So I'm so fascinated by this notion of Buddha's information looking even beyond just, let's say, methyl donors, traditional nutrigenomic uh, perspectives, but looking at the role of microRNAs, which are non-coding sequences that are found within all living cells. But specifically, when we look at food we consume, the living things we consume, they contain these microRNAs, which we now know supervene over and orchestrate the expression of the vast majority of protein coding genes in our genome. So Basically, what we're saying is that the foods we consume are like software for the hard-coded, you know, protein-based genes. And therefore, ultimately, a lot of the information transfer has to do with conferring survival advantage to animals that actually benefit the plants they're eating. So, for example, angiosperm plants, which still constitute 70% of the food that us animals still eat, they co-evolved with our predecessors for about 200 million years. So the fruit trees that, you know, we help disperse the seeds and we get this delicious food. And it's not just calories. It's not just building blocks. It's actually software. And many of the codes induced are for resilience and longevity. So it's just a different way of looking at that relationship through the lens of, it's called the xenohormetic hypothesis. I love that too. It's really beautiful how you bring everything together. And in your new book, you call this the body and the 
miracle of regeneration. And you speak also about the new biophysics of energy synthesis. Can you talk more about that? Sure. It's one of my favorite topics because I find it to be the most fascinating and still so in need of exploration. So anyone listening out there who has time to go further down this rabbit hole, I please invite you. So there's this little shrimp known as the pistol shrimp that when it strikes its claw produces a water cavitation event that's able to generate temperatures that are found on the surface of the sun. It's this amazing little creature that is somehow taking advantage of a phenomenon in nature that seems to violate basic laws of at least conventional physics and chemistry, and yet it's happening all the time. In fact, some of these little creatures are called thumb splitters because unfortunately some divers have found the hard way that they practice punch. Pistol shrimp, and they got its name because it produces, uh, I think, up to 230 decibel sound. So we're dealing with an example of a creature that is harnessing basically zero-point energy. It's transducing from the practically infinite amount of energy within the quantum vacuum, um, this heat, as well as it can generate flash of light, not unlike a star. So this is one of many examples that I've been looking at that show that actually quantum biophysics is operative and, and always has been. And yet, you know, conventional theories of cellular bioenergetics still pretty much look at the cell as, you know, glucose and fat burning machines and don't really look at, I think, what's happening right there in front of our eyes. That's quite miraculous. How do we shift our thinking as practitioners and take it into the clinic in relation to these regenerative principles and radical resilience? Great question. Well, I think the basic premise, of course, of the conventional old biological view of the body is that, you know, it's really just flawed and there's nothing really we can do because those nucleotide sequences take several hundred thousand years, if not a million years plus to change. And now we're seeing, in fact, that's all wrong. And in fact, uh, there's so many layers to this because the microbiome, of course, eclipsed yeah. everything we once, right? Everything we once thought was true. Even if we look at it from the biomedical perspective that there are about 30 million citations on PubMed right now, I'd say only 0.01% accounted for the role of the microbiome when it comes to metabolizing foods or drugs. Essentially, we went through an event horizon in 2000, both the microbiome, microRNAs, and then, of course, the regeneration of both brain and heart cells, and then coming to understanding about the body being able to repair itself. All of this just really happened in the past 20 years. So, Certainly, it takes about, I would estimate, 40 years from bench research to textbooks to medical institutions to doctor's offices and then standard of care for this change to occur. So, you know, I think we can just jump ahead of the line and, and start looking at this amazing new research now and realize that ultimately it empowers us with an awareness that our body is incredibly resilient and is near miraculous in its ability to regenerate given the right circumstances, which of course have everything to do with a diet, primarily ancestral template, as well as of course, mind, body, spiritual practices, detoxification, really basic stuff like that. Yeah, I know. I, I really appreciate how you look at brain health and heart health and digestive health and metabolic and aging. And there's words that are coming to mind, of course, the name of the book, Regenerate, but also we're talking about resilience 
resilience and you mentioned the word repair. And I think it's that belief that our bodies have this ability to repair. And I'm such a huge proponent of what you're talking about in terms of that time cycle that it takes for us to get to, let's say, the evidence. And so many practitioners are so hooked into looking only at the evidence. And I always say we have to be evidence informed and not evidence impaired because science is telling us stuff we can do in the clinic now that's not harmful. It's only helpful, but we're waiting for the sanction to do it through some testing that's happened. So if we get to these methodologies that you have seen and have tested to really regenerate, what does that include? What does it look like? Well, yeah, I mean, I love what you're saying, by the way, because I feel like if anything, we live in a world of medical monotheism, scientism is the doctrine, and we just haven't been permitted to understand what is clear from the firsthand experience to anyone who tries, which is that our body is, you know, basically harnessing energy and information from, if you will, you could call it, you know, the ether, you could call it the quantum vacuum or higher power, whatever you will. But the reality is that, you know, we are now um, in a new place of understanding body, spirit, these are metaphors for different aspects of the same thing. So far as methodologies, one thing I always encourage people to do, because you can go really highfalutin in this kind of uh, academic discussion, is go ahead and try a mono diet of just eating apples. And it's a beautiful thing, because some of us, being that we're luxuriating in very wealthy society, don't even know what hunger is, right? right? And so when you intentionally, right, when you intentionally stop the mindless eating and thinking about the next meal, preparing, acquiring, cleaning. I mean, just the time opened up alone has such a powerful placebic effect that it's quite healing. But giving the body the rest and giving it the perfect food, if you will, which again, I think that an apple is pretty close to the perfect food, gives you access to what Rudolf Hoschka, who's very influential in my understanding, called a cosmic stream of nutrition. So there's an earthly one, which we can talk about all day in terms of biomolecules and ATP. And then we have the cosmic one, which might help explain why certain yogis, for example, lived off of pretty much nothing, right? No water, no food for months and years on end. This anomalous expression of the potential of the human body is, I think, available pretty much to anyone, but you don't have to necessarily go through some aesthetic heroic uh, window to experience it. You can just just stop all the mindless eating, you know, suspend the Western diet, even the gluten-free, you know, uh, right. grass-fed, harvested diet, you know, and just, just instead of going on the deprivation cycle, go, go and just nourish yourself with just apples. If you're hungry, eat another apple. And guess what? If you're not hungry enough to eat another one, you're probably not really hungry and your body needs the rest and it will take that opportunity to regenerate and you'll start feeling something very special happening in your body. It's really amazing what we can do with the food alone. I know you also speak to other elements that I would put in the skills arena of the functional nutrition matrix. Can you talk a little bit about movement and the regenerative approach to movement? It's amazing when you think about just even the way our physiology operates. Thanks to Jerry Pollack and his discovery of the fourth phase of water, we know that the 100,000 miles of blood vessels 
the, 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 the blood moving through them is not just because the heart is this amazing pump. You know, we know that there's constant movement occurring through basically taking the energy of the sun and creating that whole exclusion zone and, and a sort of molecular battery out of the water. So movement is something that is happening all the time. And if we engage it deliberately through, it could be intentional movement practices like yoga or dancing or pretty much anything involving deliberate action of your body. And it's true medicine like you feel it on a deep level you you get access to a type of energy that is um, really subtle but yet you know really incredible you, you feel it it's like a visceral experience of a field and I think that's what really nourishes us even far more deeply than food does and that's that's something that the uh, revolutionary thing to say but I do think that people can access this through deliberate movement yeah one other thing I have to ask you say or probably my last question but it's very particular to you in my opinion and it's about the regenerative properties of relationship and how you see relationship, whether it's the relationships we have with our partners, lovers, families, children, community, clients, and patients. How does relationship help become a part of radical resilience? Well, that's a beautiful question. I do believe that fundamentally the will to live and to love is such an essential part of why people end up living You know, when, yeah. when diagnosed with condition or not. And I know in my own relationship, in fact, the book is dedicated to my wife, Kelly Brogan, because, you know, by falling in love with one another, we basically learned how to love ourselves fully. And it wasn't an easy process. But in that experience, I touched on the regenerative substrate, you know, of health, which is more of an emotional, spiritual kind of connection. And I, I do feel moving forward. And, and there's a lot of reason to believe this is the future of medicine. Even our colleague, James Maskell, talks about community being the guru of the future right sounds like a, a nice way to talk about the Aquarian sort of new age ethos <laughs> well I think that's true right is ultimately we need connection to inspire us to engage the very practices we're talking about you know we can go orthorexic and we can become credible neurotic athletes but the reality is it's really about finding love and acceptance and then that's what really inspires us and ultimately Andrea I really believe that we're on the precipice of an era where biospheric regeneration community regeneration that's what's going to hold the container for our own regeneration and and they both they depend on one another that's what I'm, I'm hoping is that in some way my book will help to catalyze uh, awareness around that. Sayer, thank you. I feel so much more resilient just having spoken to you and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, it's a great honor. I love what you're doing. You're helping so many people and uh, yeah, it's just an honor to be part of your community. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and production support by Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready and waiting for you. Also, you have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15 Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.